scripture reading is uh, John eleven twenty one through 27, and this uh, can be found in your pew Bibles on page 951. Again, John eleven twenty one through 27. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest this morning, uh, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We're coming at the end of a 13-week study that has benefited our lives so much as we have thought about the life of Jesus Christ in relation to achieving spiritual greatness. There could never be greatness found in anyone's life, not true greatness, unless they've come to learn love and live the life of Jesus Christ. Everything that matters, anything that is important, is related to the life of Jesus Christ. We could not end a study of the life of Jesus Christ without studying the resurrection. You know, think about the millions of sermons that have been preached on the resurrection. Think about the hundreds and thousands of articles that have been read Think about the lectures that have been delivered, the books that have been written, all, or at least many, to prove that Jesus Christ was resurrected. Now that's a wonderful study, and perhaps in your Bible classes this morning, that may be one of the things that you do, is study the resurrection, to to learn the facts and to appreciate that it took place, but also to prove that Jesus Christ was resurrected. But this morning, in this time, I'd like for us to flip that coin over and ask this question. What does the resurrection prove? Let's assume that everyone here believes that Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead. So what? If you had to get out a piece of paper right now and answer that, so what? What would it prove to you? What difference does it make in your life? If you had to list five things that the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves, what would you write down on your list? You know, there have been a lot of men and perhaps even women throughout the times that have tried to convince people that they had some kind of power from God so that they could have personal gain. Oftentimes when we see individuals on television shows preaching a gospel of prosperity, but yet in their gospel they ask individuals to send them money. It always raises an eyebrow and and you wonder, what are they trying to prove? They're trying to prove to those people that they have a power from God that can enrich their life if they literally enrich their life. 
Many of us have heard of Peter Popoff for several decades now. Many of you remember in the mid-80s was when a magician named James Randi decided to go and investigate this man because after all, he was a magician. He was intrigued by individuals that could be in a crowd of thousands and be able to walk right over to a section and and say, there's somebody here and call out their name, even give their street address and tell what the ailment was that they had. And then he could have them to rise out of their chair and to come forward and he could heal them of their sickness. This man was literally making millions of dollars a year. His wife was receiving a huge salary. Both of his children were receiving a huge salary. And Randy, the magician, just couldn't figure out why a man that could heal so many people needed a little plastic device in his ear. Did he have to have a hearing device? Or was that God speaking to him? After all, that was one of the things that intrigued the audience so much was that Peter Popoff has the gift of knowledge. God has miraculously bestowed upon him knowledge of other people's lives. And so now it makes it believable that God would also give him the ability to heal. But whenever this great magician decided to investigate, what he found was that God speaks to him on the frequency of 39.17. And before the sermon, the faith healing presentation that he did in San Francisco's Civic Auditorium, it wasn't the voice of God, it was the voice of his wife. Real sweet and lovingly at the beginning of the presentation, as she said into his ear, Hello, Petey, I love you. I'm talking to you, can you hear me? If you can't, you're in trouble because I'm talking as well as I can. And then her voice went very business-like as she says, I'm looking up names right now. You see, everyone had filled out prayer cards right where they were sitting. They were collected in the order that where they were seated. It had the people's name, their address, their ailment that they wanted them to pray for and all details that they needed. And so then he would hear things like this. Way over to the other side, the other balcony, is Josephine Perrineau. Run over that way, over to the right side, Josephine Perrineau, Josephine Perrineau. And then the whole time he's saying, I'm I'm walking to Josephine. And Elizabeth says in his ear, it's cancer of the stomach. And then as he's dealing with her, the wife says in his ear again, I have a hot one for you, Robert K. Wood. He's got a chest condition, needs surgery. His veins aren't formed. And later on that night, she says... Reeford's got a hot one, and there's laughter in the, the recording here. Reeford's so excited. He came running in the back here, and he scared us half to death. You ready for this hot one? Okay. Want a hot one? Hot one. Hot one off the press. Ruby Lee Harris. Ruby Lee. She's standing in the far back where there's no chairs. Long pause. And when he arrives there, she says to him, have her to run down to the front. And as she's running down to the front, he says, oh, we've struck... She says, we've struck a home run. We've struck a home run. You can hear her and the others that are helping, giggling and laughing in the background. And then someone says, at any rate, she should kick him in the face, talking about she's so excited whenever he heals her, she's going to fall back and kick him in the face. All of this that I'm reading to you was revealed on the Johnny Carson show, when very shortly after that, his ministry went silent and he went bankrupt. 
until the 2000s. Now he has infomercials on late night television that many of you could find easily, probably tonight or tomorrow night. And he's back to making millions, except now he does it through selling spring water. And you can add the salt from the Jordan River or from the Dead Sea and he'll heal you. Or he'll sell you blessed water. Or he'll sell you holy sand. You see, all of that is for the price of a donation. Friends, this morning, I want to ask you again, what does the fact that there was no fraud involved, that Jesus Christ was raised by God from the dead, can you imagine the proof if a, quote, faith healer today could go to someone who had been dead for three days and resurrect them, can you imagine how everyone would observe that power and recognize there is something substantial to what they're saying? This morning, as we think about what the resurrection proves, just by way of introduction, I'd like to take you back to the text that was capably read just a few moments ago. It was Martha, whenever her brother Lazarus had died, and in verse 25, Jesus answered her. You notice those words again? I am the resurrection and the life. This is John 11. And he says, he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And notice he said, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is asking Martha, do you believe it? And notice her answer is kind of like the guy and the girl they've been dating a long time. And she says, honey, you've never said to me, you love me. Do you love me? And, and he says, oh, you know, I like you. You, you know that I wouldn't want to be with any other girl. You know you're my girl. And she says, thank you. He never said it, did he? He wants to know, do you believe that I have power of the resurrection? Notice what her answer is, verse 27. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, and who is come into the world. Those are wonderful things to believe, but she hasn't yet confessed the fact that she really believes that he has power to resurrect. And so as the story unfolds, he talks a little bit to Mary, and then he goes back to the grave. And as he goes to the graveside, notice in verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. And it's from there that he tells Lazarus to rise forth and Lazarus, who had been dead four days, comes out from the grave. Friends, do you hear what Jesus was saying? Jesus was saying when we see resurrection, we see the glory of God. Do you realize that there is no power of man that has power over the dead? Someone says, oh, but the apostles could resurrect. They didn't resurrect. They performed a miracle of God. It was God who raised individuals from the dead. Do you realize that any time you and I think or, or comprehend or meditate upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are seeing the glory of God. You want to think that there's something beyond your last breath? The only way you can hope in that is to believe in a resurrection that can only take place by the power of God. There is no man on earth, no woman on earth, nobody in any kind of power 
that can have power over the dead. We are amazed sometimes today what men and women that are trained in medicine can accomplish, but they cannot hold a candle to the power of God to resurrect one from the dead. It's that same language that strengthens our Christianity when we go to Philippians, the third chapter. It's 1044 in the Bible that's in your pew. Notice as Paul talks in this chapter of Philippians 3 about he's ready to count all the things that lost in his life so that he could gain Christ. And it's in this setting that he says in verse 10 and 11 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul, what do you want? I want to attain the resurrection from the dead. I want Jesus Christ to raise me up, and I want to live with him for eternity. And Paul says, I know that there's something I need to know. Number one, I need to know him. But number two, I need to know the power of his resurrection. Friends, you can't positively be impacted by the power of God's resurrection unless you know him and you're living for that day of resurrection. When we are raised in that final day, we will stand before a judge and the question will be whether or not we decided to live for him on this earth. Did we choose him? Did we choose for him to be our Lord? Did we submit our life to him? Or did we turn our back on him? Friends, the resurrection is true. The question is, are we living for the one who has power over the resurrection? In Acts, the second chapter, we see what the resurrection proves. The resurrection had only taken place seven weeks since the time that this event took place is the day of Pentecost. And in verse 23 and in 24, Peter preaches his sermon and he says to them in 23 that they have crucified Jesus Christ with their lawless and wicked hands. And then in 24, and and of course this is a fact, but I just want you to notice as you're reading through the scriptures, notice how many times it speaks of Jesus' resurrection and it talks about God's power. There is no resurrection without the power of God. And so in 24, it says, Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death. And then what does Peter do? He quotes David out of Psalm 16. And he quotes including the fact that his body would not see corruption. And then in verse 29, Peter explains, We know where David's tomb is. We know that his body is still there. We know that his body has seen corruption. So the only way this verse could be true is that it was prophetic of Jesus Christ's resurrection. The grave could not hold him. Do you realize that that day individuals not only could appreciate the power of the resurrection, but that day the power of the resurrection helped reinforce, it helped prove that the scriptures are true. Let's see this one more time. Look back to John, the second chapter. We referred to this same story last week, but for a different point to be made from it. But do you remember in John, the second chapter, this is where Jesus goes into Jerusalem on Passover and he cleanses the temple. They're there making a marketplace of the temple and, and he cleanses the temple. And notice what he, the Jews say in verse 18. They're impressed that he has the power to do this, but they want to know more about the power that he has to be able to cleanse the temple. And so in verse 18, in, in John, the second chapter, he says, 
So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to him, to to us, since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. And the Jews said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it in three days? And he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, now what John is doing right here is he's taking and recording this taking place now. And now he's going to jump ahead a distance of time and he's going to say, now let's look after the resurrection took place and let's go back to this story again. So therefore, 22, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said to them and they believed the scripture and the word which he had said. The disciples, when they saw the resurrected Lord, they had a greater confirmation that the scriptures truly are true. They are 100% accurate. The resurrection shows us that we can believe the scriptures. But this morning, I'd also like for you to see, if you would be making your way to Romans, the first chapter, it also shows us the deity of the Son of God. The resurrection proves to us the deity of the Son of God. You know, there have been many individuals that have spoken about Jesus Christ being the Son of God. The demons spoke about it in Mark, the fifth chapter. The blind man confessed that he was the Son of God in John, the ninth chapter. Peter clearly stated in Matthew, the 16th chapter. John the Baptist did also back in John 1. Martha in the text that we read earlier in John 11 did. And even the Roman soldier at the end of the day of the crucifixion, he declared truly that this man was the Son of God. Those are wonderful proofs. But what about if God says it? You remember when Jesus was baptized, the silence of heaven was broken? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Peter was in one of his his times of, of where his energy and his mouth was running faster than probably his mind. And he saw Elijah and Moses and Jesus and probably without giving it a lot of thought, he said, we need to erect three temples here. One for each of these. You can't put man, even if he's a prophet, on the level with Jesus. And so the silence of heaven is broken as God speaks to Peter and says, This is my beloved son. You hear him. In other words, you don't worry about Moses right now. You don't worry about Elijah right now. You worry about my son. Have you ever thought about the fact, though, that God declared Jesus to be his son? And maybe we don't have a record of it verbalized, breaking the silence of heaven. And I know this is one of those passages, it'd be real easy for us to read over it and really not pause and gather this maybe in times past as we've read the first chapter of Romans 1. But that doesn't take away from the importance of it. I want you to read with me these first few verses of Romans 1. And I want you to think of the powerful words that we have recorded from God. Paul introduces himself in verse 1. And in verse 2, he talks about the promise before through his prophets and in the Holy Scriptures, verse 3, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Now look at verse 4. And declared to be the Son of God with power 
according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. God the Father, how are you going to prove to us that Jesus Christ is your son? And he says, one of the ways I'm going to prove it to you is whenever you see the resurrected Jesus Christ, you're going to see my son. What a powerful, powerful demonstration of the knowledge that Jesus Christ is the son of God. But also, not only does it prove the deity... But as we have just said, it proves the power. If you will, turn to Ephesians, the first chapter. In Ephesians, the first chapter, we see a beautiful teaching here of Christ, His resurrection, the power that it proves of God, but also how all of this fits into the church. Let's pick up in the middle of a prayer that Paul was praying on behalf of those of Ephesus. And we're in verse 19. And notice as we see this power as it relates to verse 20. We're in Ephesians 1. It's 1,038 on the Bible that's in your pews. And look at verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand of the heavenly place. Let's pause there for just a moment. What is God saying to us through Paul's prayer here that's recorded by holy inspiration? What is it that He's saying? He's saying, do you see the mighty power of God? What's happening in your life? What's broken right now in your life? What is it that, that you just wish you had the power to say, make it better? Do you believe in the one that has all power? Do you believe in the one that can say to the dead, be raised? Do you believe in the one that could say to Jesus Christ, come forth from that grave? And not only come forth, but the Father says to Jesus, now sit down on my right hand side. You see this transition in the story? Not only has he raised him from the dead, what did men do to him? Wicked men crucified him and slew him. And at the end of that day, they looked like the victor. As a matter of fact, even Jesus' disciples started believing it. In Luke the 24th chapter, the two men on the road to Emmaus left because they thought Jesus had lost his power to be king. Friends, the resurrection not only showed that God has power over the wicked deeds of men, but it showed that He was going to place Jesus Christ in the greatest position of power, the right hand to the throne of God. Please note every phrase in the next verses that we read. Now look in 21. We're still following this same sentence here. He's on the right hand of the heavenly place. Look at 21. He's far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet. In other words, God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills all in all. Do you see what Paul is saying here? 
Jesus is on that right-hand throne, and you pick out any power that Satan has, any dominion that Satan has, you pick out any power that any human being or any government or empire would have on this earth, and Jesus Christ is far above that. And He is reigning through His church. Who is this? It's the one who has the power over the grave. It's the one who has greater power than any. It's the one that can say to the power of darkness, I'm going to bound you to this degree. You're not going to tempt mine beyond what they can stand. You're not going to be allowed to create a situation where something good can't come out of it. Do you realize that Jesus Christ is in power? He literally has Satan on a leash. And he has the power to do what no one else can do. What are you battling? What are you fighting in your life and you feel like you don't have the power to overcome it? We sometimes say, uh, take your struggles, take your sin, and lay them at the foot of the cross. I know what we mean when we say that. Jesus died for our sins. But friends, from Ephesians 1 and 19 and 20 and following, I ask you to take your struggles and lay them at the doorway of that empty tomb. And as you lay them down, glance up and stare at that empty tomb. And be comforted in the fact that if He has the power over the dead, He can have power over anything that's going on in your life. But finally, and as we extend the invitation, His resurrection proves that there's an eternal home reserved for us. In 1 Peter, the first chapter, in verse 3, Peter talks to the fact that there was a time that he lost hope, but he says down in verse 3 that He has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. His hope was gone, but then when he saw the resurrected Lord, his hope was revived again. And so again, just to emphasize it, you could ask Peter, Peter, what is it that, that gave you hope again? He would say, seeing the resurrected Lord. But notice, he doesn't end the sentence there. It's a comma. When we see the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, notice what it's linked to. Peter links it here and then in verse 4, to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Notice that. Reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed from the last time. Do you remember that before Jesus died, He prophesied and said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, wait a minute. Jesus, you're going to die in the next few hours. How can you sit there and talk about the fact that you're going to go and prepare a place and that you're going to come again and receive us to yourself that where you are, that we may be also? Friends, We couldn't talk about an eternal home reserved for us if we can't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We could study for days and talk about things that the resurrection proves using Scripture for every one of them. 
But just in this little time, we've seen that the resurrection proves the truthfulness of the Word of God. The resurrection proves that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God. The resurrection proves the power of God and of His Son is beyond any other power. And it proves that if we are His, if we have that living hope, that we have a home reserved. And friends, that's all that matters. There's a lot of things that take place in our life that we may not ever understand on this side, but there has to be one thing we do know and we do understand, that Jesus is my Savior and my soul is well with Him. If you don't have that, you need to stop and consider the resurrection. And you need to let it prove to you that God is King and He needs to be Lord of our life. If you're ready to come to Him this morning, naming Him as the Lord of your life, as a believer willing to repent and confess before men, why not be immersed into Christ this morning for the remission of your sins? Maybe you've done that and along the way you've lost the way. Maybe a study this morning of the resurrection or maybe something you've already studied or thought about or meditated upon this week has, has caused you to think about living your life, not for now, but living your life for eternity. Living your life in view of the fact that one day we all will resurrect and we want the Lord of the resurrection to be the Lord of our life. If you need to confess sin and pray forgiveness, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.